threes in a row, everyone has said no. Anybody make a resolution? Can I get a show of hands? Two? We got two. Nice. I made a resolution this year. I made two resolutions. Um, is it one of those things where if I share them with you, it won't come true? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it is like a wish. It really is. My resolutions are this. This is going to sound really bad. I shared this with someone, and they were like, those are your resolutions? But these are good ones. But they're number one, to go to bed, and number two, to wake up. Those are my resolutions. But you know how when it's late at night and you're watching TV and you're like, one more episode, you know? And then the next day you pay for it, my resolution is to not do that. And then my other resolution is in conjunction with that one is when my alarm goes off, I'm going to get out of the bed and I'm going to get the day started. So it's not as, as, as dumb as it sounds. Like I'm really just trying to stay alive, you know? So anyway, I made some resolutions. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It'll all depend on how well Nate sleeps and wakes up and all that kind of thing. So it's been Christmas break. While he's been out of school, we've watched more than a couple movies. Um, if you followed me, if you saw my posts on Facebook, we watched Pets 2. And uh, did you guys see, we watched most of it. And then right towards the end, I had to go do something. I came back in later. And, and I said, Molly, how did, how did Pets 2 end? And she said, oh, it's just like, like a black screen with words and stuff. <laughs> I guess that is how it ended. Um, but if you've ever seen that movie... It's kind of, kind of new out there. I've seen every cartoon movie the moment it comes out on Netflix. Um, but if you've seen it, you, you got like the main dog, and his name is Max, and then there's this other dog, and, and that dog's name is Gidget. And I did not have to look these up. I know these. Um, but, uh, but you got those, those couple animals, and, and, uh, and then Max is going to go out of town, so he's got this little squeaker toy that he got in, in, in the first one. He still has in the second one if you watched them both. Uh, but anyway, so he's going to go out of town. He needs Gidget to watch his, his squeaker toy. It's called Busy Bee. I also knew that. Didn't have to look it up. Um, but uh, so he takes it to her, and uh, it's a riveting storyline. And Gidget is like, uh, and, and she like has this crush on Max. And so Max asks her to take it, and she says, yeah, I'll take it. And it'll be like, like we're married. You're just out of town, and I'm the wife, and you're the husband, and this is our baby, and I'm taking care of the baby. And then, and then Max is like, well, no, it's just not exactly like that. And she says, yes, it's exactly like that. That's exactly how it is. And then, and then that's kind of how that part ends. But, you know, I feel like that, that, that sort of conversation is a lot like me and God sometimes. You know, I think that sometimes God is like, I want you to, to go and make disciples. And I'm like, all right, God, we're going to build a church. Well, I got it. We're going to start doing a lot of paperwork, and we're going to fundraise, and we're going to do all that kind of stuff. And then I think God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Those things are good. But what I want you to do is, is I'll build my church. Literally, Jesus says, I will build my church. He says, I'll build the church part. I want you to go and make disciples. And then I'm like, yep, got it, got it. And meanwhile, I'm filling out the Form 1023, you know, which you have to file. To, you know what I mean? Like, like constantly God is like, this is what I want you to do. And I'm like, I hear you, God. I'm doing it. And then I'm kind of doing something else. And the legalities of it are necessary. But collectively as a whole, and I don't just mean us, I think, that, I think the church at large and I don't mean that every church is doing this, but I think that so many of us are, are missing out on, on authentic church because we're so busy trying to build church, which is the part that Jesus said that he would do. I've learned that whether we are, whether I go to a big church or a small church, and whether things are, are, are well organized or whether they are not, um, we will have problems in the church. And if I spend all of my time trying to solve those problems, then, then I will never quite get around to, to experiencing what it really means to be a part of the church. 
and realizing all the things that it, that it really means. And, and, I'll, and, and I feel like sometimes we come to church and, and one of the main things we want to do is clear our conscience so, so that we, we feel like we made it, we did it, we got that a part of our lives, and so, so we're good. We have the church thing. And some of us are building church, and some of us are, are clearing our conscience, and none of us are really, are really experiencing what it means to be a part of the church. So I want to stop doing that. That's not my New Year's resolution, because those are kind of like wishes. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, I, I, that's, that's what I want to do in this year, is, is to stop missing the boat. And I want to dive in on, on, on squeezing every bit of juice out of what it means to be a Jesus follower. And I think that means a couple of things. Some of them I hope we're going to do in, in small group. And, uh, and, and my, my, my goal for small group is that, is that we make disciples there. If you're not sure what disciples are, disciples are people that make disciples. <laughs> and because I went to Mississippi Public School, I just I can't get any deeper than that. That's as much as I can say. But no, we really want to. That, that's my goal there is, is to make disciples and, 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 and not just to have programming there and and so we want to make people that love Jesus and that share the gospel with other people. So I want to do some of that. But secondly, what I want to do starts here on Sunday morning. I really wanted to, uh, I have it written down that I'm, I was going to sit down, you know, and it was going to be so different because I'm sitting, you know. Then I, I broke the stool, so <laughs> I'm not sitting. But I'm going to sit one of these days. But the whole idea is, is that some of what we do here, well, what I want to do is, is that we're going to dig into the book of Romans. And, and I am so ill-equipped to teach you Romans, it's ridiculous. But, um, but, but we're going to dig into that, and I just want to really read some Scripture and spend some time together in these mornings just really jumping in. And what I hope is that we will grow in our faith like maybe we never have before. So I've, I've got some of these sheets in the back. I didn't grab one, but, but it's, got, it's got a couple of places for sermon notes. Um, but, it, but it's also got, it's got a, a reading plan. I'd love for you. I'm going to try to read through. I'm going to try to go through Romans in four months. I looked up some resources from this one guy. His name is John Piper, if you're familiar. And he preached through the book of Romans. And you guys want to take a guess how many sermons in this series he preached just in chapter one? Mind you, Romans has 16 chapters. But just in chapter one, you want to guess how many sermons he preached? Somebody take a guess. I told you earlier. It's 20. So I'm not, I, I don't appreciate that. But anyway, it's 20. That's a lot, right? 20 in chapter 1. He preached, on, he preached this for five years. It took him five years to preach. Imagine if you went to his church, and then five years later he came back. He was like, now nah, as we finish up Romans. <laughs> But that's really what he did. He preached it. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it in four months, okay, because I, I just I, I think I would die. Um, but uh, but we're, we're going to walk through it. I invite you to read through it. you got something over there. And it just tells you. It gives you two passages a week. And um, so it's, it's not, we're not overdoing it. Um, if you really want to overdo it, then, then that thing has, you can read one, one of those passages every day. You'll get through it in 30 days. Um, but if you want to go through it in four months, it's just a couple passages a week. But I think it'd be really rich if you walk through it, if we walk through it together. It's got some other stuff on the back, and, and you can kind of read it. it. just talks to you a little bit about how to read Scripture. But, but I, I'd love for us to, to walk through this piece together. Um, so the question then is, is, I think, why Romans? If we're really going to jump in, why is that the place? And why not anything else? And if you think we're really going to make such a, a, a far jump in our faith life because of what we do on Sunday mornings, like, is that really going to be the thing? And does this part really matter that much? And I would just say yes. 
For a couple reasons. Number one, I think that, that I could tell you, and I have some great advice, I'm full of wisdom, and I could tell you Adam's top ten steps to being a great husband, and, and you would just really become a great husband. And that would be really good for you. But I think if I could spend some time telling you the 10,000 steps that God took towards you, and Romans walks you through those 10,000 steps and it really gives you theology of what's been done for you and for me and what we're supposed to do as a result. And if I can spend some time doing that, it'll just be a whole lot better for you than some of the wisdom that I could share. And so that's, that's why we're walking through something like this. The second reason is this. I think it matters because consider this. In the, in, when Jesus, in the story in the Bible, one of the most well-rehearsed and well-known stories in the Bible. Jesus takes a couple pieces of fish and a couple pieces of bread, and he feeds like 5,000 people. And all of a sudden, he does that, and all the people there want to make Jesus king. And why do they want to make Jesus king? Because he just solved world hunger. I mean, if somebody came around and, and solved all of our major problems, we'd say, this guy should definitely be the one leading us. But when they wanted to make Jesus king because he had just done this, he retreats and he gets away from everybody. And when we find him again, he comes back and and he's not feeding the hungry anymore. He actually does do it again, but he's not feeding the 5,000 right away. Instead, he comes back and he's preaching the gospel. And he's being really clear about about what it means to, to be a God follower. Because what could be more important than solving world hunger is the gospel. And Jesus himself recognized that. Sharing the gospel is more important, even more important than that. Augustine said, early church father, he said that in Romans, all the shadows of his doubt were dispelled. That's pretty rich, right? All the shadows of his doubt were dispelled. You, you ever have some doubt about, about your faith or you have some doubt about maybe you're, you're, you're definitive that you're a believer, but you have some doubt about some other things? And Augustine said, when I begin to, to dig through Romans, that's when the doubt began to wash away. So I think that alone is, is a pretty good reason to, to walk through it. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but a different Martin Luther, church father. Martin Luther said the most important piece of the New Testament is is justification by faith alone, which is the central premise of Romans. And it's the doctrine on which the whole church rises and falls. So you got some people saying Romans, some super important people saying Romans is really, really rich. Listen to this. This one is the most compelling to me of all. Um... Peter, when he writes his letter to the church, he, he talks about the angels and he says, what the angels long to do, the angels in heaven, right? What the angels long to do is to look into the gospel. The angels long to, they long to see the gospel, the gospel story. Think about how hard it must be to impress an angel. I mean, what if angels saw God create the world? Angels saw, saw the, the parting of the Red Sea. They saw Balaam's donkey talk. Every sort of great story you read in the Bible, they've seen it all. I think they've got to be the ultimate teenagers. You spend 5000 on vacation. How was that? Did you love it? Oh, it was okay. But to me, that's got to be, I mean, you would think if anybody has seen it all and nothing's that impressive anymore, then it would be angels. But it says what, what they long to do is, is to press into the love of God and the story of the gospel. They proclaim it over and over that Jesus is king. 
That's what they're concerned about. That impresses even the angels. So finally, why Romans? I think it's this. And this is, this is true of me often. But do you, do you ever feel like you, you became a believer and then, and then there was supposed to be some kind of power that was incredible? And, and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's really not. And, and you're kind of like, I, I thought this was good, really kind of, I was going to have some greater connectedness with God when I became a believer and I thought there was going to be some kind of power, but, but I, I don't always, I don't quite know where that is. And some people seem to have it, but I don't really seem to have it. And I would say this, I would say that, that faith in Christ is what first connected you to God's power. You put your faith in Christ and, and, and you were saved. I mean, some incredible power happened there. You were, you were destined for an eternity apart from God. And then you totally reversed that and now you're headed towards an eternity with the Father. And some incredible power happened there um, because you put your faith in Christ. And I think that whatever is broken in your spiritual life right now, whatever may be broken now, the first step of remedy is to believe the gospel. The first step of remedy is to believe the gospel. To believe that Jesus paid your sin debt in full. To believe that you can never be any more acceptable to God than you are right now. And ultimately that it's His power and His power alone that can save you. And that sort of thing that you've been missing, the more you, you ponder and the more you dig into the gospel, the more it's present in your life. And when you believe that, you experience this renewed power of the gospel in your life. So, so Paul writes this letter to the Romans. So we're going to get into it. Paul writes this letter, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. That's all we're going to read today. So uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He writes this letter. I'll give you a little bit of background on the letter. So there's about five house churches in the city of Rome. It looks like that's it. So in this whole city, like the one of the top five biggest cities in the world. And, and there are about five house churches in that entire city. And these people that are there are baby Christians. They're brand new. They don't know anything. They just became Jesus followers. And, and what Paul wants to do is give them this really thorough look into this new faith. And so he writes them this book about the gospel. And that's what the whole book is about. But I think it behooves us, and, and for some of you this may be real, real elementary, but... but you know, for me, it's just a good reminder always. But the more that we say gospel, the more that you go, what exactly is gospel? And so, so here's, I'll tell you what it is. So in the Greek, gospel most literally means good news. So gospel is, the word gospel just means good news. So if in the first century, an emperor won a big battle, and so he went to war, and he won a big battle, and everything was peaceful, and everything was great, he would send these people all throughout the, all throughout the kingdom, and they would be proclaiming gospel. And all they would be doing is just sharing good news that the battle has been won, and all is well. And so that's a similar idea. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus has overcome sin and death. The gospel is the announcement that Jesus has overcome sin and death, that you should believe that Jesus is the Savior, that, 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 that should you have sorrow for your sin and desire forgiveness, that you can submit yourself to Him and that He will save you from death and separation from Him. That's, that's the gospel that we proclaim. Jesus has overcome death and you can join Him in His resurrection. And so when we talk about gospel, it is most literally that story and everything that makes up that. And so here's what the gospel is not. And this is what I think we've lost in church history for a long, long time. 
But the gospel is not an invitation for you to come and help fight. You see, the, when kings sent people out, they didn't say, hey, I, I need you guys to come on and help fight so that we can win. No, they're, they're proclaiming to you that it's already been won. And that's what the gospel is. It's not saying, hey, we need you to come help us Christians accomplish our mission. No, the gospel is not that at all. The gospel is saying this fight has already been won. Jesus won it. And now we're just telling you that peace is available. And that union with Jesus is available. That's what we're proclaiming when we proclaim the gospel. So in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I'm reading this in... I'm going to try to read this whole thing in what's called the easy-to-read version. It can't get easier than that, right? Uh, the easy-to-read version. It's kind of like the New Living Translation. And, and sometimes it just says it so simply that it, it's almost, you know, it's like, why didn't we do this from the beginning? I think the easy-to-read version is what King James looks like if you were alive in the 1600s. You know, I mean, it's, it's just written the way that you speak. So I'm going to try to read it all in this version. But um, Romans 1, 16 and 17. says, I am proud of the good news. Read gospel. <laughs> I am proud of the good news. Because it is the power God uses to save everyone who believes. To save the Jews first and now to save those who are not Jews. The good news shows how God makes people right with himself. God's way of making people right begins and ends with faith. As the scriptures say, the one who is right with God by faith will live forever. So that statement right there, that's the thesis statement for, for the whole book of Romans. You guys remember when you were sleeping in English in high school? Your teacher was talking about thesis statement. And, and for those of you that really did sleep, you know, that's all, all that is, is is just telling us what the rest of the paper is about, what the rest of the book about, what the rest of the book of the... Uh, what, you get what I'm saying. What the rest of the book is about. That's what 16 and 17 are telling us. It's all about this gospel. And so I want you to see just two things in this intro. Just... Two simple things in this 16 and 17 and sort of this intro to the whole book. And the first thing that you're going to see there is, is shame. First thing Paul's going to talk about in his thesis is about shame. I'm going to give you some real talk here. Um, are, we, are we recording today? Good. My mom will love to hear this. Um, so I, I, I'm going to tell you something that, that most pastors wouldn't say while preaching. I've certainly never heard one say it. But, uh, but the other day in my office, uh, there were a few people at the office, and I'm in there and the door shut and I'm getting some work done. And let me just say what, what we all do when nobody else is around. I farted in my office. Sure did. Farted in my office. Somebody came up and knocked on the door right after. And, uh, and I'm like, Man, you know, there's nobody else in here. And so I go to meet them at the door, but there's, you know, they need to come in. It's like a, you know, it's a meeting I'd forgotten about. They're here early. And so they come in, and there we are, you know, and it's not good. And it's really obvious. And I don't know whether to say something. It's that kind of, you know, it's that kind of obvious, you know, like, oh, yeah, that skunk in here yesterday. You know, like, I don't know. I don't really know what to do, but there I am. And it's, and it's just awful. And I'm like, you want to take a tour of the building? Yeah. And so we finally get out of the office. And I just really want to kind of curl up because it's, I mean, it's, it's most obvious. It's not like when you, you know, it's not like I'm not going to see these people again. I'm going to see these people a lot. And this is the first time they're there. This guy's actually auditing our facility. And it's like, welcome to the building. And so that happens to me. And I just kind of want to curl up and retreat. And I don't even love telling the story, really. Um, Paul says, says, uh, I feel no shame towards the gospel. I feel no shame towards the gospel. 
I think we've all felt, we've all felt that before. Not gas. Shame. We've all felt some shame before. We've all did something embarrassing. We've all did something incredibly wrong, and we just wanted to hide. And whether you actually did something wrong or it was something like, like what happened to me, you know, whatever it may be, we've all felt this sense of shame and, and a little bit embarrassed. And, and what we want to do when that happens is we want to get away and we want to not face the consequences and we want to not be in the situation. And it happens, it happens to us. And Paul says, is I, about this kind of shame that we want to run away from, I feel none of that towards the gospel. And I could feel a little embarrassed, and I could feel a little bit of shame. Let me tell you some things that have happened to me since I embraced the gospel. One, I've been isolated from everybody I used to know. All the old friends I used to have, they say that I'm terrible. They say that I'm awful, that I've given up everything that's important to me, and they think, they think terrible things about me, and many of them want to kill me now. So if there were anybody who wanted to kind of retreat from the things that believing the gospel has, has done to them, it would be me. I've been beaten. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been imprisoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake-bitten. Like all kind of terrible things have happened to him as a result of believing in the gospel. And he says, rather than being shameful, all I want to do is be louder. All I want to do is live it again. I'm grateful for all the persecution. For me, often it's easier to be quiet about my faith, and I would imagine that the same thing is true for you. I'd be more, I feel like I'd be more accepted in the academic community if I never talked about my faith. I think that, that even when I go visit my family, and we did that thing, you know, I talked about it before Christmas where we got together and my wife and I really led the charge, and we got these things for the kids to do and put these little things as we, as we read the Christmas story and we prayed. And, you know, I'm a pastor, and my brother's a youth minister, and my other brother's a, a deacon, and so it's pretty easy to, you know, say, let's do this. But nonetheless, we led it, and we did it. And, but, but sometimes, then I get together with my other family, and it's a little more cumbersome, and then I get together with my other family, and it's a little bit more cumbersome. And, and sometimes it should be easier to let that stuff go. All the kids want to break into the presence. That's all we really want to do. And, and sometimes it'd be easier just to let it go there, too. And it'd be easier to let it go sometimes among coworkers, especially when I worked in some different places where, you know, a large number of the people, you know, not just didn't have a relationship with Jesus but were very opposed to it. And it would be easier to let it go. It'd be easier to be quiet about it. And I don't think that I'm embarrassed about my faith, but I do the same thing with that that I do when I'm embarrassed with things. And I kind of retreat from it, and I kind of keep quiet about it. And Paul says, my faith cost me everything. Cost me everything, but I'm proud of it. And I have no shame towards it. If you're a follower of Jesus, those of you here that are, if you're a follower of Jesus, have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? I think Paul says it loudly, and he says it in the thesis statement, because it's a problem. It's a real problem that was, that was evident with him, and it's a real problem that he knows is going to be evident for a long time. And so he puts it in there because it's a big deal. You know, this even plagued Jesus. When Jesus was tempted to be quiet because speaking up um, made him feel uncomfortable because speaking up for Jesus was, was meant that he may die prematurely, and when he was confronted with, with, with being shameful... Hebrews 12.2 says that he faced it, but what happened was, instead of dwelling in the present, he sets his sights on the future where he would sit at the right hand of God. And so instead of looking at, at the way that, that being proud of the gospel affects him right now, he looks into the future, and that's how he overcomes the shame. 
If you want to overcome some of the shame that maybe you felt with sharing the gospel or living out your faith, you want to overcome some of that, put more focus into the promise of heaven than the reality of right now. That's the way Jesus overcame it. That's the way Paul overcomes it. More focus into the promise of heaven than the reality of right now. Second thing I want you to see, um, check this out. You guys watch Schoolhouse Rock? Anybody watch that? Schoolhouse Rock? I got that little video here. Um, do you guys remember what they say? Here we go. As your body grows bigger, your mind must flower. It's great to learn, because knowledge is power. It's Schoolhouse Rockin', but you're all about Because knowledge is power. That's actually the only part I knew of that whole song. Um, but knowledge is, is power. The first section of the opening song. For one, did anybody know it says, as your body grows bigger, your mind grows flowered? Anybody else know that? Yeah, me either. But anyway, but it says, because knowledge is power. Early on, very early on in our lives, we're, we're, we're presented with this idea and, and we begin to believe that there is power in something even if we can't see it or feel it or touch it. It's in shows we watched as kids. There is power in something even if we can't see it or feel it or touch it. The second thing I want you to see is the reason that Paul is not ashamed of this gospel. The reason he's not ashamed is because he says there is power in the gospel. There is great power in the gospel, and that's why he's not ashamed. You know, Jews had a hard time understanding how Gentiles could be saved. That was one of the big conflicts in the early church. Jews could not understand how, how Gentiles could be saved. They were so bad. They, they oppressed the Jews. They had perverse sexual practices. They had no concept of family. They probably double-parked at the mall and farted in elevators. Right? All the terrible—I just had to say that again just for a kick— all the terrible things in life, that was these people. They were awful. And, and, and Jews could not see how they could, they could just put their faith in Christ and then all of a sudden they're believers. They just couldn't see it. And Paul says real clearly, this gospel can save them too. This gospel can save everyone. This gospel has the power to save everyone. And no matter where you're from or where you've been or what you've, or what you've thought, this gospel has the power to save you. In, 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 retro, in, in perspective, God created the earth in six days and raised more than a few people from the dead. And sometimes we go, God, my problems are big. <laughs> God, I've done some bad things. And, and I think God would just say, I've overcome much more. There is great power in the gospel. So what do you do with this? What do you do with that information? What do you do with the thesis statement? You know, the, the reality that, that, that the gospel has great power, but also the reality that, that, that sometimes, we're, we're, even, even though we have this incredible, powerful thing that we get to share, sometimes we're a little bit ashamed of it. What do you do with this? Let me remove the guesswork here. I think the thing that you do with this gospel is that you share it. The thing that you do with this gospel is that you share it. You share verse 17. Verse 17, if you desire forgiveness of your sins and, and you have faith that Jesus can save you and you submit to Him, then He will. Verse 17 says you will be saved forever. You will live by faith forever. And that's what you share. That's what we do with this gospel. I want to as much as I can over the course of the next few months, I want to stop saying gospel for a while and I just want to say good news. Because I think it helps us 
Put it in its proper place when we call it good news. Because that, what I just told you, that's good news. That's life-changing news. The reality that you and I can be saved, it's great, great news. Why is that news that we would be ashamed of? Why is that news that we would keep from anybody else? I just want to spend a month, and we're going to dig in all kinds of stuff in Romans. And let me tell you what, if you want me to preach on something controversial, here's your chance. Because <laughs> Romans is full of, I mean, it's got all kinds of stuff in there. But mostly what you're going to see is him talking about the gospel. And I want you to dwell on that. I want you to dwell on what Jesus has done for you. As we sing this last song in a minute, I want you to just think on it. Because the Bible doesn't say that the, that the gospel tells us about something powerful. It says there is great power in the gospel. It says people believed in Jesus because they heard the gospel. There's great power in the gospel, just in thinking about it. What do you do with it? You, you, you believe it. You believe that you share it, but first you believe it. Maybe for the first time you believe it. And can you believe that following Jesus and the great news of the gospel and all that you get when you, when, you, when you believe the gospel, it is as simple and profound as saying, God, I need forgiveness and I need you. Save me. Can you believe you can get all that from that? It is that simple and that profound. Let me pray. God, I pray that I pray that for all of us, that in these few moments, those of us that have put our faith in you, I pray that we would just stop for this entire song and say, wow, thank you, God. As I think about what you've done for me, boy, everything else just pales in perspective. And I pray, God, that each of us would begin to put our minds on sharing that gospel sharing what you've done for us. Because why on earth would we keep that good news in? So God, I pray that we would do that. And God, I pray for, for people here that decidedly or undecidedly, just because they haven't thought much about it, haven't believed the gospel. God, I pray that, that you would begin a movement there. At least we would ask some questions. At least we would begin to say, God, if this is real, what will I do with it? And I pray, God, that that would begin. God, I pray that there are some people here that are right on the verge. They've never just kind of been to church for a long time, but just never quite said, you know, I'm going to take this seriously enough to believe in the gospel and be saved. And I pray that that would happen today. And I pray that some people would put their faith in you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Mm-hmm.